Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Imagine attending a meeting as an undercover spy in North Korea, of all places, to find out about their weapons. One wrong move and you're dead. That's the position Jim Latrach found himself in, a career criminal and drug dealer. Jim was appointed to take part in the Mads Brugger movie, The Mole. Named as Mr. James, he was tasked with pretending to be an investor in North Korea, where he was treated like a king, such were the sums he was talking about putting into the country. He signed a contract with North Korea to produce drugs and weapons in another country, before meeting them again in Uganda, of all places, to discuss buying an island in Lake Victoria to construct an underground, this is getting quite complicated, isn't it, drug and weapons factory that would pass itself off as a luxury hotel. So just to reiterate, the plan was go and find out about the weapons in North Korea, uh, meet in Uganda to discuss setting up some sort of uh, drug and weapons factory hidden in Lake Victoria. Lake Victoria is this massive, massive body of water between Uganda, Rwanda, Burundi and a bunch of other places. Uh, and that's where they were going to hide all that stuff. So it's quite a story. It's a phenomenal documentary. There is a bit in it where Jim it really looks like he's going to get caught, you know, and he relates that well today. Uh, I would have been petrified. But do check out The Mole. That's the name of the documentary. If you can get it wherever you live or whatever, I'm sure you can see bits of it on YouTube anyway. Jim is also a former French foreign legionnaire and has lived a fascinating life. So this is a really interesting one. It comes from the Sean Atwood True Crime podcast. That's where I did the interview originally. It's a segment from the four-hour show that Sean does. So do check that out. And thank you very much to Ash Meikle, the producer, for organizing that. A wonderful producer indeed. I've got some big stories about child sacrifice and psychedelic drugs coming up soon. But now you're in for one hell of a story. You're on the edge of North Korea, drugs, weapons, and spies with Jim Latrach. Jim, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. I didn't want to risk saying your name wrong uh, because it's well, the next bit after Jim is more difficult for me to pronounce. But do you want to say it? Yeah, it's it's Latras Quartzrup. Yeah, it's a bit difficult. Uh, my wife and I are quite stubborn. None of us would give up our last name, so we put it together. <laughs> oh, fair enough is that and, and where are you from Jim and where are you calling us from today um, I'm sitting in Copenhagen in Denmark oh lovely lovely and, uh, and okay well, and you don't have to say where you're actually 
from if you don't want to. Uh, fair enough. Oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm from Denmark. Oh, you're from there as well. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Sorry, yeah, sometimes yeah. I'm, I'm, I push too much about personal details and then people no, no, say, no, stop matter. asking. No, no, per- no. Okay. My, uh, my mom is from Denmark. My dad is from Morocco, North Africa. And you have a fascinating story about North Korea. I mean, what? how did you get started? I mean, I suppose for those who don't know the audience members and stuff, give us a bit of background about, I mean, from the beginning, I just guess your, your relationship with North Korea. Well, well it, it, it's a long story, and I know we don't have that much time. So mm. uh, I, I have a right, quite crazy background story. Uh, I, I was dealing cocaine for for many years. And, yeah. uh, oh, by the way, the- we're, we're not supposed to say those words too much if it's possible. Uh, oh. <laughs> so just like if uh, I, don't, I don't I don't know exactly what to say, but maybe the the white stuff <laughs> or the green oh. stuff, something like that, just because of YouTube, yeah. oh. stupid okay. thing. Now, okay, now we have said it, so now people know what we are talking about. But yes. I, I was doing that, and at one point I, I went to jail and uh, then I met my wife uh, while I was in jail. I, I didn't tell her exactly the truth that I still continue my business while I was in prison. I told her I help out a friend uh, <laughs> and I was a key account manager, which is not entirely lie. Uh, so we got married when I came out of prison and she got pregnant. And eight months later, I was thrown back to jail again in mm-hmm. an even bigger case. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought she was going to leave me, but uh, she said if I could promise her I would never go to jail again and if I took education. The thing is, I have ADHD, I'm dyslexic. So I said, I can promise you I won't be criminal, but I, I cannot go back to school. That's impossible. But she said, that's the term. So for the time I was in prison, she taught me to read and write, and I took my high school diploma in prison, and I came out with an average grade point that high that I was accepted to Copenhagen University, where I started study psychology. So when I came out of prison, uh, the biggest radio station in Denmark did a story about my life, and the 18th of September 2015, we won the award for best feature of the year about the radio show. And there I met a, a director called Mass Burger. And uh, we became friends. And uh, at one point he called me and said, have you ever heard about something called Danish North Korean Friendship Association? And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I can't get out of here. That's not such a thing. And he said, yeah, there is. and." Uh, I've had a guy there for seven years who have been undercover and he raised so much. So he have actually been in North Korea. The thing, he's a friend of the family and he have a medal and he's very trustworthy. So trustworthy that some highest ranked people have asked him if he can come up with investors who want to invest in North Korea. And uh, we were thinking about is that a job for you? Can you pretend to be a Scandinavian oil billionaire who wants to invest in North Korea? And I said, give me 30 minutes. I have to talk to my wife. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I, I talked to my wife and said, 
I think this could be fun. And uh, she said, yeah, yeah, go for it. So two days later, I'm in a play on my way to Norway in a presidential suite where we have mocked it up with hidden cameras. And I meet the president of the Friendship Association, a Spanish guy called Alejandro Caudebenas. And at this point, they haven't told us anything about which kind of investment they're looking for. So I was kind of telling who I was. I said I presented a big family uh, a company that uh, we did different investments, weapon, pharmaceutical. I, I, I mentioned a lot of things just for him to feel free. Mm. And then he started to <laughs> tell about that they could provide me with any kind of weapons that they already make white label label if you don't know what that is uh, if you make white label uh, weapons that means that he said they made white label uh, uh, missiles for iran that means if you see the missile anywhere it would look like it's produced there so you cannot see which country it's producing that that's what uh, referred to as white label uh, and how they could manage to get weapon out of North Korea and how to produce methamphetamine. They had specialists to do that. So that was my first accountant. Um, then I was called up three months later of uh, the instructor and say, I talked to the producer and uh, we're quite keen what would happen if we say we would be interested in buying that. We want you to meet him again. And I said, all right. So I flew down to Madrid, another presidential suite, hidden cameras. And uh, at that point, I said, I have some guys in Yemen. They're quite interested in the weapons. And while I was in prison, I saw a documentary about in Second World War, how the uh, Nazis wanted to make false British pound and fly them over London and drop it down to break the, the British economy. And I thought that was hilarious. It was a really great story. And I thought, fuck it, I steal that story. So I'm sitting there and say, and then I have some other guys in Yemen. They're quite in, interested in the methamphetamine. They want to produce it, fly it over Tel Aviv, drop it down to demoralize says, the youth in Israel. And he loved it. He said, I love it. Everything is good. Right now, the next goal is you have to fly to North Korea and meet with the intelligence service down there. And I was like, okay. So four months later, I'm on a plane. I fly to Beijing, go to the North Korean embassy there, stamp my passport. And uh, I'm off to uh, North Korea. And uh, <laughs> scared? No, no, actually, I wasn't uh, because w when I met with him in um, in Oslo, I said to him, "My minimum investment is fifty million euro." Uh, because otherwise they have no interest. I say we are in uh, this hedge fund. We are not that many people. So we invest 2 billion euros a year and uh, we don't have time to have small cases. Mm. So either we have to be in that volume or they have no interest in for me. Uh, 
So I knew nobody in the right mind would ever I invest in North Korea. And think about now you have a guy who's willing to min invest minimum 50 million euro. So I knew they would treat me like a king when I came there. <laughs> so <laughs> unless unless they realized you weren't who you said you were, then you could be in trouble. Yeah, but if you look at me in the paper back home with my background, I mean, me being in jail for what I did, it's not what disqualified you as an arms dealer. So I was not nervous on, on any of those things. So I got to North Korea and they started showing me all kind of things. I mean, I was treated like a king. It, it, was, it was quite interesting. They took me to the opera, and, and one night, I remember, we were sitting and uh, doing karaoke and drinking sake, and one of them said, oh, I have to show you something. The great leader, he, uh, he made this water park for $100 million US, and I saw those pictures, and it was awesome. I mean, it was crazy. And I say, tomorrow, I want to show you it. I'm like, show it to me. What do you mean, show it to me? I mean, what you don't know about me, actually, I love water parks. I'm a big fan. And I'm like, should I go to North Korea and just take a look at it? No, fuck that. I, I, I want to try it. So I said, if I cannot try it, I don't want to go. So he called and then he came back and said, okay, no problem, Mr. James. You can try it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so we went to the water park. And at that time, every time, any place I went, in, in North Korea, I had those two agents following me. And I was like, couldn't it be hilarious? Just for one minute, maybe two, being alone with the North Korean. So when we went down to uh, the locker room to change, the guy I went with speak, spoke very poorly English. So I started to get undressed and I start to ask him just like stupid random question. Oh, do you know where the great leader lives? And he goes, oh, I don't know. I cannot tell you. And, and I ask all those questions and take my clothes off. And he was like thinking very hardly how he should answer me. So he stayed in his clothes. And in the end, I, had, I was 100% butt naked, clapping on the shoulder, said, listen, mate, let's take it inside. I went into the shower, quick water in my head, bathing suits up, jumped in. This was a Sunday. It was totally packed. And at that time, I had a beer into here, and I'm tattoo of most of my top body. So this half-Arab guy suddenly jumped into a water park filled with North Korean civilian who just looked and like, what the heck is that? That was, that was priceless. <laughs> but I, after we had been there for three days, I haven't seen anything I was promised. So I talked to one of the agents and I said like, in a solid but still polite way, I mean, first of all, I have to thank you for giving me this great uh, vacation. But you have to know that for me coming here, it cost me 200,000 euro. And the reason why, because what people have to understand, when you go into North Korea, you fly into a black hole. No, no reception on your phone, no internet, everything just shut down. 
Hmm. So you have no communication with the outside world. So what I told him was normally when I go on business trip in the evening, I do my work. But all the time I've been here, it have been impossible. So I have lost one week. So if you don't show me the things that I was told in Spain that you could provide, just for you to know, I'm not coming back. So the next morning, I'm sitting and having my breakfast. And then the two agents shows up and say, come on, Mr. James, it's time. He didn't tell me what it was. I was like, all right. So I'm going with him, uh, with the other Danish bloke, the guy who was on the cover. We go into a Mercedes uh, car and start driving outside town. And at that point, I was like, hmm, have I, have I fucked up in any way? <laughs> and, and, yeah. and suddenly we, we, we go into like a slum area and it stops just outside a building that looks something that should have been torn down 10 years ago. And they asked me to go in the down in the basement. And at that time, I was like, okay, oh. if if they have found out who I am, I know they will not kill me. Because, or if they have suspicion of anything, they will torture me, but they will not kill me because they want to have the information I have. So I was like starting to think, okay, don't panic. What would be the most realistic, um, what would be the most realistic uh, reaction to this? That would be become angry. So I started to think about things that could piss me mm. off. And then they opened the door. And in my mind, I was like, there's standing two guys with Kalishnikov in there. And this is it. But suddenly, we are in this really, really yeah. beautiful restaurant. Ah. And it, it first, it took me some time to find out why we went there. But the thing is, the North Korean are not only paranoid to people from the outside world, but they're also paranoid to the people surrounding them. Because what people have to understand, Pyongyang, which is the uh, the, uh, the greatest city in North Korea, people, you are not allowed to decide where to live. Where you live is about the position you have, okay? So when we sat down there and negotiated in the contract, some of the things that was most important for them was that I signed on that the people I will negotiate with in the future would only be the people in that room. Because you can see the thing, uh, that the, the, the one who would come with a guy with 50 million euro, is like his pension was safe. He, he would be mm -hmm. home free. So yeah. they didn't want to share. And it turns out that the area we were sitting in, right, uh, was only for that crew. So they feel that um, that that we could be saved down there. So in the end of the night, uh, we signed out the contract, and in that contract we agreed on that uh, because to get uh, weapons out of North Korea is harder than getting what we're not allowed to talk about out of Colombia. Wow! So we. We, we were talking about 
making a weapon factory outside North Korea. So we will build an underground weapon factory and a meth lab. So our next meeting should be where that should be. So we sign a contract and, and due to all the sanction there is, they needed a middleman because uh, the old customers was quite afraid of uh, continuing doing business with North Korea. So that was, I, I would be the buffer in that one. So we signed the contract and I went back to Denmark. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash heretics and get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn.com slash heretics to learn more. Wow. And the, <laughs> I should just say this whole story is insane. And I, I watched the documentary, by the way, The Mole. So I remember seeing, I was seeing you and seeing all of it going on. It's just the most extraordinary thing because I think for most of us, it's just like, it's, it's scary enough just being in North Korea, but the stuff you were getting involved in and then getting into that restaurant, my word. <laughs> Come on, your heart must have jumped in your throat, right? I would say that this had been the time in my life where I should concentrate the most to keep my cool. Yes. 
in, in, in those minutes down the stairs, I try because I say, if, if I have nothing to hide, I would not look, look nervous. And that's why I worked so much on my anger that mm. I was more focused on getting angry than anything else because then your, your mindset was just on that one. I know that feeling and it's so hard. You have to go exactly what you said. You have to pretend like, okay, if I was this person, this is how I would feel. And whenever I try to do that, my mind just goes blank. I can't think like, what would I feel? <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm not a good actor. But did it come quite naturally to you then? I mean, the thing is, I played that role for four years, and uh, if you have to do it, there's a like, there's an old Chinese saying saying that uh, a guy who lies should have a good memory, and I don't have a good memory, so I was thinking about it's uh, it's quite important that all my stories is like ninety nine percent truth. So I took stories from my own life and made a little twist to them. Because in that way, it was really easy for me to remember it. Yeah. And I tried to build the character as much of who I am as a person. I would say the same kind of joke I would do as a person. I just stepped it up a little bit. Mm. Uh, because it's, I mean, you can do that for one day, but the thing is, when you meet the same people years after, and the thing is, there always come three people in a negotiation, and one of them will always stay sober. And this is where my criminal background comes and uh, support me, because when I was criminal, we were drinking, doing beep, and everything else, uh, and we learned never to... Uh, talk about things we shouldn't even when we were heavily uh, influenced by different substances yeah. so that was and 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 in uh, in uh, asian culture is in 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 business release it's a very common thing because normally when people drink they start to talk uh about things that's not supposed to so if if you want to make sure that uh who they are or what the real agenda is, start drink with them. But mm. I grew up in a very socialist uh, family. So I knew all the things about Chile back in the 70s. So yeah. when we started to drink, it's, it's not difficult to uh, be angry at America of different things. So, so it was quite easy for me while I was drinking, saying, oh, remember in Chile with Allende and Pinochet Sake? And they loved it. So, yeah, that, that, that definitely helped me out. <laughs> Just telling stories, the anti-American stories. Are you not concerned yep. that now that they know that you weren't real, uh, they could send somebody to get you? I mean, I think, to my understanding of their culture, they're doing what I was think is smart, is that, because if they kill me, they actually prove to the world that I have a point and what I did was right. But instead, they would say all of this is propaganda. Mm -hmm. 
and and that's the way I haven't been threatened in any way since I came home and uh, but I but I also knew that before I mean put it in this way I would not have done this in Russia yeah Okay, you think so? That's interesting then. That, that Russia is more vengeful than North Korea. I mean, Russia would have killed me before the movie came out. <laughs> okay, yeah. Don't do it in in Russia then. God. No. Nope, well, no. No. What What happens Remember next that. then? Tell, tell me the next part of the story. Yeah. So. They came up with Namibia. Namibia should be the country where we should go next. So I started contacting landowner in Namibia. Uh, and suddenly in that process, due to the sanction, the government uh, uh, lost the nerves. And they had to come up with another country they uh, did business with. So... Um, so that was Uganda. So I started looking in where I could get property in Uganda. I went to Google, of course, and I found that you could buy an island in the Victoria Lake. So I called up the director and the producer and said, I found this island. It cost $5.4 million US. I mean, what is more Dr. Evil than having your own <laughs> island? And they just loved it. So I started negotiating with the landowner and uh, uh, because we don't have that much time, there's some things about my background story I haven't been able to tell. But when I was very young, I was in the French Foreign Legion and I was stationed in Djibouti in Africa. I was a paratrooper. So uh, I knew a little bit about the continent uh, because I was a soldier there. And uh, I also knew if you have to do business in Africa, you have to have involvement from the government because lots of land have been sold more than once so i say to the landowner i'm interested we want to buy it but i'm not making any deals without having any collaboration from the government and they say no problem and all this was just by emailing only emailing forth and back and negotiating and say, I will come down there, we will have a meeting, I want to see the island, I want to meet with the government. And they say, yeah, no problem. So I went down there, uh, I went with my producer, uh, because it's very important when you make a documentary like this, that all the ideas is made by them. So you don't make a honeypot that we are not the one creating anything. They're the one creating it. Mm. So uh, the producer had been working on one of the biggest uh, television stations in Denmark. He know all the rules. And I felt more comfortable to having him uh, uh, guiding me. So we did everything by the book. So I was like saying, oh, how, how are we doing this and this? So we flew down there. Uh, and we had a security guy with us as well, and uh, uh, the mole was also with us, yeah. and then we had a cameraman. And, and uh, we hired a boat, and uh, while I was talking to the captain of the boat, the producer, he came up and said to me, 
just for you, you to know it, um, <laughs> uh, the representative of the landowner told me that he had told all the people who live on the island that you are there to build a hospital. I said, what? What the fuck did he do that? Have you have a microphone on? Do we have that on tape? And he said, no. So we have to have it on tape because, I mean, if the movie comes out and the people on the island have been told that I'm there to uh, uh, build a hospital, this is just fucked up. And yeah. uh, so we went to the island and as you have seen in the movie, we were welcomed by hundreds of people on the beach. Uh, welcome us. And uh, we went to a church and the, it was so fucking crazy that the, the representative of the landowner uh, did a prayer where he told all those poor people on the island they should treat me good because I was sent by Jesus to build a hospital. Uh. And, and I was saying to the producer, I have an idea, let's have a meeting afterwards on a hotel next to the island. Uh, so we can get on tape that that this whole thing was his idea, not ours, and 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 we got that. But in the end, the North Korean was also flying down there, and uh, their idea was that we would build a five-star hotel on top of the island, hmm. and uh, we will have a weapon factory under. And before the North, yeah, before the North Korean came, I had a meeting with the landowner and uh, two government officials. And the funny part is that scene in the movie is not with hidden cameras, because I said to them, I have a cameraman because he he was with me on the island. I say I brought him because he filmed everything, so I could present it to the board. And I would suggest he films our meetings too. Because you say such an incredible thing, and uh, I'm so afraid it would lose. We would lose something, and we will miss that in the negotiation. And they were, yeah, no problem. And 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 while I was sitting with them, I didn't tell the government down there that I will build an underground weapon factory. But I said it like this: I 100% privacy on the island. Uh, <laughs> and I want a permit. So I can land a Boeing 747 and take off without customers looking at it. And they say, yeah, yeah, no problem. We can actually have customs sail around the island and protect your island. That was how we left Uganda. Wow. <laughs> it's just the maddest thing, isn't it? It's 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 so crazy because I was like, it seemed. I mean, you would think this is really complicated stuff, that it takes long time. But it just showed that this is not the first time any of those parties have done this. And the thing is also, when I went out of North Korea, I'm the first one in history who came out with a complete weapons list. I have I have a complete weapons list of um, Scott missiles, uh, Termi ballistic Scott missiles, range up to thirteen hundred kilometers. I have a list of how many they have on stocks, 
and the prices. Hmm. And uh, while we were in Uganda, they started to ask me if I could help them with transport to Syria. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite crazy. Uh, uh, and they also came up with another idea until the island was built. I should make a plane. So I will make, come up with a fake, uh, you know, uh, what's it called? Um, Hmm. No, like UNICEF. Uh, So so I I will make a fake help organization. Mm -hmm. So I will fly down blankets and stuff like that. And we will refill the plane in a garage to the night, and then they will fill it up with weapons, and then I will take off. Oh, my God. And they already had the system for it. I mean, he was telling me, that it would be, I mean, he told me that. It's like, oh, you're taking my daughters out, take the car in the second garage, just remember she had to be home before midnight. It was just like that. <laughs> Man, what that list then of weapons that you got out of North Korea? So who did that get given to? So who just to re- remind me who was you know uh, who was in charge and who was paying? Who was paying you? Did they pay you well to do this to act as a spy? Uh, the producers. So this was just the documentary people who had you there for four years. Is the do- from the documentary? Yeah, yeah. The, the, this was a civil mission. Yes. Hmm. That's fascinating. And so did they did they pay you well to do this? Do you mind disclosing that? I got money. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they paid me. Yes. I was okay. paid. Okay. Okay. Yeah, cuz otherwise, I mean, it's years of your life and you've risked your life for it as well. I mean, no nobody yeah. would begrudge you that. I think that's perfectly acceptable. But I guess you might have been tempted at certain times otherwise to steal some weapons or something, you know, if they weren't paying you. No. <laughs> I would have. No, I mean the I mean I think it was quite exciting because this an offer like this comes once in a lifetime. I mean, think about yeah. it. You you are allowed to play James Bond for four years, <laughs> live in presidential suites. I, I was also in Jordan because, I mean, I don't know how much more time we have, but I can recommend people to see the movie. Uh, uh, mm. And uh, But what we did was at one point in the end of all this, they came out with a triangle system. They had a guy in Jordan that uh, could provide oil. So the thing was that I got weapons for them. When I got my weapons, I will give him money, and then he will smuggle oil to uh, North Korea. I met with him in uh, Amman in Jordan, and uh, we can still not tell all he said to me because the government in Jordan put a lot of pressure with lawyers on us. But oh. at one point, I say, how, how can you get an oil tanker outside? I mean, you cannot just take an oil tanker outside Amman without no, nobody asking you questions. And he revealed his business partner. 
and that name really pissed off the Jordan government. So they would, because the movie is BBC, Norwegian, Sweden, and Denmark. That those are the biggest networks in those countries. They they are the producer of the movie, and even BBC pulled the uh, plug on that one. So we had to put a beep on that name. But okay. it was it was it was a high ranked name. Wow. So 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 yeah, it and and it was just like this rabbit hole because every every time we had been on a mission, it was like yeah, the movie could be finished now. But it's like, did they say something about Syria? Okay, let's go to Beijing. <laughs> let's. So I was in Beijing. I've been in Cambodia. I've been in Jordan. I've been some really really crazy places. I smuggled surveillance cameras in and out of China, and uh, yeah. It's uh, it's it's quite. <laughs> have you have you been uh, approached? It, it, it been a very crazy one. Oh, sorry. Have you been approached to continue in this line of work? Ah, uh, no, no. I I I think uh, because the movie had been out in. Yeah. I think forty countries by now. Uh, <laughs> so I, I I I think my 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 face is quite used, mm. um, but a guy. I mean, I have my own companies back in Denmark, and uh, I I just came out with a uh, a biography. There's a bestseller in Denmark, and it have been out in Poland. So we're working on distributing that to, to, to the rest of the world and uh, yeah. yeah let's see what's coming we need it in English is it in English no not yet not yet working on it okay okay that's and where would you like to send some people here like to your Twitter profile or, or somewhere uh, I mean I have uh, my Instagram and Everybody, I mean, I control it myself. Nobody else is controlling it. Uh, so any kind of questions, you are more than welcome to write me and I will answer you personally. What And what is it? Is it just your name? Yeah, uh, it's, uh, it, it's, it's just my, my, my name. It's just Jim Latrash without the quartrope in it. It's just Jim Latrash and then it comes up. And it's okay. not confusing because I'm the only one with that name. Okay, got it. yeah, it's, it's a pretty uh, unique unique name for a unique <laughs> story. Wow, it's really something, and uh, I'm so impressed. I'm so amazed by your story, Jim. Thank you so much for for telling it to me. Thank you, Jim, for agreeing to be interviewed on the Sean Atwood True Crime podcast, which I have had the great fortune of being allowed, permitted, enabled, abled to, to put out on On the Edge with Andrew Gold. Thank you also to producer Ash Meekle for organising this. What did you all think of Jim's story? Did you get to see the documentary The Mole? Get in touch, let me know. I mean, it's really something, that um, that documentary. New episodes are coming out soon on child sacrifice, psychedelics, and the new Puritans with Andrew Doyle. Please keep sharing and reviewing so this thing can grow, grow, grow. I appreciate everything you all do for me, and I love when y'all get in touch. Remember, I'm on andrewgold underscore OK on Twitter and Instagram, and there's a YouTube and TikTok account under the full name of the podcast. That's On The Edge with Andrew Gold. See you soon. 
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.